Ephesians 5, 15 to 21, hear the word of the Lord. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As we live near the beach, right off of the the highway that goes up and down the beach, it's a popular spot for people to walk. And so all up and down State Road A1A on the sidewalks, people walk. And we've lived there long enough to begin to recognize regular walkers. And sometimes we can recognize them from their gait, from the way they walk. We don't know who these people are in some cases, but I say, oh, well, that's the woman who does this or that. There's one woman that when she walks, she does an oval with her left hand. I don't know why, but she does an oval with her left hand. So I, I always recognize her because that's what she does. There's another guy. We actually know him. He kind of He's kind of a big guy, and, and when he walks, he goes up on his toes, and he doesn't move his arms much. So he kind of walks like that. And I can recognize him from afar and say, oh, that's so-and-so. I I know who that is. There's another man who wears only shorts, uh, and he's just baked brown, and he carries dumbbells in his hands. And he walks up and down, and then he stops, and he does dumbbell presses, and then he does does, uh, push-ups, and and then he walks some more. Uh, There's another couple that we know, and uh, an older couple, and it's really sweet. They always walk hand in hand. But he, I think he's about two feet taller than she is. And so somehow they're able to manage that. But, uh, but uh, uh, somehow they're able always to walk hand in hand. And we can recognize these people from far away. Even if we can't see their faces, we say, oh, that's so-and-so. Or that's that lady or that man because of the way they walk. Their walk is distinct. And it's obvious. It's distinguishable. And they're so distinct that they're easily, easily recognized even from a distance. That image is an image that goes all the way through Ephesians. That's a metaphor, the metaphor of walking as an image for living. And that's a metaphor that goes all through here. And this is the basic idea. That is that that those who are outside of Christ, unbelievers, have their ways of walking. And they distinguish themselves and they are identifiable by their ways of walking, living. But the call to us is to walk in a different way, no longer the way we once walked, no longer the way the the world walks, but to walk in a distinct way so that we are obvious, so that we are distinguishable and easily identifiable as Christians. As we look back over Ephesians, we have already heard four instructions about how to walk in addition to some instructions about how not to to walk. In chapter 2, verse 2, it talks about when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, we used to walk following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the prince that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's how we once walked. But then we learned in chapter 2, verse 10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which we has which he has prepared 
beforehand for us to do what? To walk in them. So to walk in good works. Chapter 2, verse 10. And then we learned in chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, Paul wrote, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what's the manner or what's the calling to which we've been called? Well, read chapters 1 to 3. There we have the calling to which we've been called. And then the, he transitions and said, I urge you to walk in accordance with that, that, that calling that, you've, that you've, been, you've received. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, we saw this last week uh, in, in Derek's sermon, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. And who is the pattern of that love? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in last week's text as well, chapter 4, verse 5, verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we've already seen walk in good works. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. Walk in love and walk as children of light. And we add to that today that we should walk not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 15, look carefully. So we need to pay attention. Look carefully to how we walk, how we live, not as unwise, but as wise. And throughout this this letter, we have had this contrast. This is what unwise walking looks like. This is what wise walking looks like. And we can line these two up. And all through Scripture, read Proverbs, read James, read all through Scripture, and you have instruction about what what foolishness looks like and what, what wisdom looks like. But he focuses in here on one particular aspect of wisdom. In verse 16, walking in wisdom, walking as wise people means at least the translation here says making the best use of the time. If we were to translate that kind of woodenly from from the, the original, it would be something like redeeming out the time, redeeming out, buying out the time. This is the, the word that, that shows up in this verb that shows up in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, when it says Christ redeemed us from the work or from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So the idea there is, is we were under the curse of the law, and, and Christ redeemed us. He bought us out from under the curse of the law to be his own by becoming a curse for us. And this word for time. It says uh, making the best use of the time. There are a couple different words for time in, the, in this language, uh, the, the Greek of the New Testament. And one has to do with kind of chronology, calendar time. And the other often, and this is the word here, often has to do with opportune time. So some translations have making the best of every opportunity. And we know this. We know this, that there is the tick, tick, tick of the watch. That's the, that's the chronology. But there are also moments in life when there are opportunities that must be seized or they are lost. It's not just they come regularly, but they come in, in, in surprising ways sometimes. And we need, to, we need to take advantage of those. And what is, the, what is the impotence? What is the urgency? The urgency here is verse 16. Making the best use of the time. Buying out the, the time. The opportunity because the days are evil. Because the days are evil. You see that the time has been affected. The opportunities have been affected. The days are evil. And so 
this is a very kind of descriptive and urgent metaphor here. That these opportunities, they are they're in the clutches of evil days. And we have to we have to go in and we have to buy them out. We have to carve them out. We have to rescue these opportunities from the clutches of the evil days. Because if we do nothing, they will just be lost to these evil days and we will not be able to buy them out to redeem them out. This uh, this colorful and urgent image um, is is necessary in all times. It was necessary in Paul's time. But, but particularly in our time, in every day there are time wasters, aren't there? But we have some very sophisticated time wasters that we have come up with. We have, we have uh, developed some technologies that are amazing, amazing. And they do, when you, when you use these technologies, you can feel them just, just sucking you in. They have this amazing power to captivate you and, and to, 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 to take your time away from you. And as you're allowing them to do that, you're losing these opportunities to, to walk wisely. Probably TV watching because other technologies have, have developed, but TV watching has probably gone down in the United States. It's gone down from the peak during the pandemic, but it's still like three hours a day for Americans on average. On average, three hours a day, and then social media, not to not to mention other uses of our, our smart devices. Social media, that's social media. That's the, that's the scrolling through Facebook and looking at t- TikTok or whatever your generation does. Um, that's another two hours a day. Now, that may overlap some, because probably some people are watching TV and looking at TikTok at the same time. But, 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 but this is somewhere, somewhere towards five hours a day the average American spends doing what? Yeah, nothing. These are, these are not really activities. These are passivities, aren't they? And see, and see, there are others out there, and I don't mean to just pick on these, but, but these show the urgency of, of if, we don't, if we don't do something positive to buy out these opportunities, to carve them out, to rescue them from the clutches of the evil days, they will be, they will be lost. And so the wise woman, the wise man, the one who walks wisely, is, is in this constant battle to, to get these opportunities back. That, that's wisdom, so that they won't be lost. Now, um, the fact that these days are evil also, verse 17, uh, the evil days explain why we need to redeem the time, and the evil days also are the, the urgency not to be foolish. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So if these are evil days... We ought not to be foolish, but these evil days call us as believers to understand what the will of the Lord is. Um, verse 10, we saw something similar last week where it says, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the will of the Lord, what is pleasing to the Lord. And where in the world would we find that? Well, we of all people, we of all people have access to what's pleasing to the Lord. It's written down and it's all put in one place. It's amazing. For, for, for most of the history of the world, this book did not exist as we have it today. It, it got collected together for our benefit so that we might have it in this one collection. And then with these technologies, which can be used for good, we have all sorts of access to, to the, the will of the Lord on our, on our phones and on our computers and wherever it might be. And so there's an urgency about this understanding the will of the Lord. 
And, and how do we do that? Well, we're very simply by, by reading, by hearing, and by studying this book. Reading, hearing, and studying this book. I picked up a book on my shelf. I had read two sections, or about three quarters of it, and then there's another book that's stuck together with it in the back, and it's a, it's a pastoral theology book. It's a book about how to be a pastor, and I thought, well, I always need to learn that, so, so I picked it up, and I started reading, and it, and it says something very clear there and, and kind of very obvious. It says, pastor, the best thing you can do for your own self to be a good pastor is to read and study this book. And the best thing you can do for your congregation is to get them to read and study this book. That was, and, and this book was written in 1850s, okay? And uh, things haven't changed, right? <laughs> things haven't changed. That's always been the case. But that's not the only thing we need. And here this transitions to the, to the next section. Because I tried to read this book before I was a Christian, and it was opaque to me. It did not make sense to me. I did not understand it. It wasn't my book, and so I put it aside. We need something else to read this book, and that is the Holy Spirit. And that's the transition into this next section. He says here, kind of surprisingly in verse 18, kind of out of nowhere, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That seems to be a strange thing to put in this text right here, because he's talked about Earlier on, he's talked about some specific things, some specific immoralities and vices and habits and so on, but why all of a sudden do not get drunk with wine? Well, we, we ought not to assume that the Ephesians were particularly given to drunkenness, because as far as I can tell, in reading history and in traveling and in looking around, every culture in every time is given to drunkenness. Now, some excel in that. Some are more known for that. <laughs> But, uh, but, but it, it's a common human thing to abuse substances to our own harm, to have a certain sort of experience. And, and, and so we ought not to pick on the Ephesians and say, oh, those Ephesians, Paul had to put it in because of them. No, he had to put it in because of all of us, because of this tendency of humans to abuse substances. And there's also a connection in this explanation here. And this connects with what we saw last week. He says, do not get drunk with wine. He doesn't say don't use wine. We actually have wine here in communion because that's the normal element for wine. We also have juice, but we have wine here. So he doesn't say don't use wine in any way, but it says, but it says don't get drunk with wine. Don't get too far with substances where they begin to affect you. He says the reason for that is, it says here, this translation, for that is debauchery. But actually it says in which is debauchery, in which is debauchery. Some say disillusion or excess, something like that. And if you go back to last week, we find out what that debauchery looks like. We find out in verses 3 and 4 of the same chapter, but sexual immorality and all purity, I'm sorry, and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Let me ask you, when do these sort of things often take place? Immorality, impurity, covetousness, filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking. When do these often take place? It's when people have imbibed or injected or smoked uh, to such a point where they're, they're, they're impaired. 
And, and they do things and then they say later, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that. Or sometimes they don't even know what they did. And so what's the idea here? Don't be drunk with wine in which is this debauchery. So in, inside of this drunkenness, it, it comes with these other things. These are companions to drunkenness, filthiness and lewdness and coarse joking and immorality and so on. These things happen as part and parcel of drunkenness and abuse of substances. And we saw last week, verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, who is covetous, covetous, that is, an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So let's see how this argument goes. So um, if you practice these things, you have no part in the kingdom of God. And so you ought not to practice these things. And these things, where are they? Well, they're contained in drunkenness. So if you can get rid of this container, avoid this container in which these things come packaged, then you can avoid these things more easily and then you can avoid being excluded from the kingdom of God. So you say, so avoid drunkenness to avoid these vices, to avoid this exclusion from the kingdom of God. Now, um, the reason, the reason probably, that connects with what we saw earlier last week, but probably the reason for its inclusion here is the contrast with what comes next. Because it's kind of surprising, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, or in which is debauchery, but be filled in the Spirit. Now, it may be that the drunkenness is introduced here because when you're drunk, you're filled with something. What are you filled with? Alcohol. And what happens when you're filled with alcohol? It takes you over. It controls you. It, you're, you're under the influence thereof. That substance it, it, it can, takes over what you do and don't do and say and don't say. And so it may be that this is introduced by way of contrast to give an idea of what it means to be filled in the Holy Spirit, that there is a, a control thing. There is an influence factor here. Now, um, this, is a, this idea of being filled is, is all through Ephesians. And it's, it's a fascinating and, and not necessarily easy to pin down idea. This idea of the fullness. And sometimes the, the things that Paul says sound almost like he's going too far. They're so extravagant, this idea of filling. Um, so far, if you go back to chapter 1, verse 23, there is this statement. Uh, well, 22, it says, And he put all things, God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him, Christ, as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And when we looked at that, it's, it's a difficult expression with at least six different interpretations, but the one on which I settled was God fills Christ and Christ fills his church. So Christ is the fullness of God and the church is the fullness of Christ. And then if you look at chapter 3, verse 19, we find this, that we are to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Well, how can we be filled with the fullness of God? Well, uh, Christ is the fullness of God, and so to be filled with Christ. And then we have kind of the, it drops the, the metaphor a little bit there of, of filling, but in chapter 4, verse 13, it's described as this, until we all attain to the unity of the faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so the church and we as the church are filled with Christ that we might grow up to the stature of Christ. Now, if we go to chapter 5, verse 18, where it says, be filled, it actually says be filled in the Spirit. Be filled in the Spirit. And it doesn't say with what to be filled. But in the context of Ephesians, well, it's probably the same. We are to be filled with Christ. We are to be filled with Christ and to to reach the, the stature of Christ, to be to be. Uh, to be mature in our faith so that we might look more and more like Jesus. Now, there's something interesting and, and kind of perplexing about this command. It says, be filled. Well, it, it's passive, right? So be filled means you have to be filled from outside, right? Um, but the fact that it's a command means that you can fulfill it. Like you don't go out to your empty car and just say, be filled with gas, Right? What has to happen? Someone, most likely you, have to pay for it and pump it and fill it. So, but here it's a command be filled, which means somebody else has to do it, but it's a command to you. So there has to be some sort of participation on your part, some sort of, sort of willingness on your part, some sort of desire, openness to be filled. So while someone else has to fill you, you need to be willing to be filled with the Spirit or in the Spirit, actually. And let me, let me talk about that a little bit. This translation says, be filled with the Spirit. And I have to say, that is, the, that is how I've always read this up until this past week. And then I began digging into it a little bit more and realized, actually, the expression is unusual here. The normal expression that we have, if you look at Acts of the Apostles, and it said, they were filled with the Spirit. And they did this or that. They were filled with the Spirit. That is, the Spirit filled them. There are other expressions that Paul uses. Walking according to the Spirit, in accordance with the Spirit, Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Or by the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But here it's an unusual expression. And it says, in the Spirit, be filled, apparently, with Christ, as the rest of the, the letter talks about be filled with Christ in the Spirit. Now, um, this, this, is, uh, this rounds out the Trinitarian approach to, to redemption here. We have seen Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit repeatedly through Ephesians, and now we have that once again. And that is, God the Father fills Christ, Christ fills the church, and this filling takes place in the Holy Spirit. And this unusual expression actually is a complement to the idea, if I've lost you already, let me bring you back if I can, um, with, with these two different prepositions, in and with, okay? Um, think about it this way. It adds to the common expression of filled with the Spirit, because if someone is filled with the Spirit, where is the Spirit? It is in the person. If someone is filled with Christ in the Spirit, where is the person? That person is in the Spirit. And so put these two together. The Spirit is in us, and we are in the Spirit. And the focus here seems to be that we need to be filled in the Spirit. This, this expression shows up in Revelation, where John is on the Isle of Patmos, 
And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see, etc., etc. And so both of these aspects are true, and they're complementary. We, we, we have the Spirit in us, and we are commanded here to be in the Spirit, filled in the Spirit. Now, this may sound a little vague, but, but immediately Paul talks about four very practical manifestations, activities that, that evidence this being filled with Christ in the Spirit. And they're in verses 19 to 21. And here you see speaking to one another, and it says addressing one another, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the first one. The second one is singing and making, making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's the second one. The third is giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the fourth one is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is getting very, very practical. What does it mean to be filled with Christ in the Spirit? Well, it means to, to be doing these things. These are, these are the, the walking in the Spirit. And let's look at these, each one of these briefly. First one is we speak to one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Perhaps spiritual, that is, songs of the Holy Spirit. And um, this is one of the reasons why Christians gather together. And this is one of the reasons why we read, why we pray together, and why we sing together. And, and when we sing, we, we are probably focusing on the idea of singing to God. Because this is a worship service, we focus on God. But one of the amazing things about singing together is we're also speaking to each other. We are reminding each other of the truths that we say. And as we read these texts together, we are speaking them to each other. When we pray together, we are speaking these prayers to God, but we're, we're speaking them to each other. And this is, this is one of the reasons why it is essential for Christians to gather with each other. You cannot express this aspect of being filled in the Spirit by yourself. We need, and, and by the way, this is my experience in church. Sometimes I come to church very down, very discouraged, very distracted. And then I hear you, my brothers and sisters, speaking these songs to me. And they may not be stirring my heart in the moment, but I see that they're stirring your heart. And you remind me of the truth thereof. And I hear you reading the scriptures and I hear you praying and you minister to me by speaking to me in these songs and hymns, psalms and spiritual songs. And so it is, it is essential that we gather together. And that as we do so, the second aspect says singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, with your heart. So there is a sincerity about this that is a requisite. It's not just with your mouth. Of course, you need to speak these with your mouth, but it, it needs to be coming from the heart. And so we do these together and we do these from the heart. We sing and we make melody together. And the third thing is giving, always giving thanks, giving thanks always and for everything. That for everything could be translated for everything or it could be translated for everyone. For everything or for everyone. And it's, it's actually something like giving thanks always on behalf of everything or on behalf of everyone. We already saw the importance of, uh, of, of uh, thanksgiving last week. If you look at verse 4, 
says, let there be no filthiness, foolish talk, crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. You want to get rid of foolish talk? Then give thanks. You want to get rid of coarse joking? Then give thanks. You want to get rid of filthiness? Then give thanks. You see, this is the antidote. This is the opposite. This is walking in the Spirit, giving thanks. And notice the pattern here. There's, there's no set pattern. There is one God, and we pray to the one God. But that one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And there's no set formula for, for praying to that one God. But the normal pattern is this. The normal pattern is praying to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of this in the Spirit or in the power of the Spirit. And, and, and that, that's not the only way we can address God. We can address God. We did in one of our songs, didn't we? We addressed God, Holy Spirit. What did we say? Come, O come, thou Holy Spirit. And, and so it's not the only pattern, but this pattern is a very important pattern because it reminds us of our standing before God. So we pray to God the Father. And how do we get to do that? How do we get to pray to God the Father? Why do we think that he would listen to us? Why do we think that he would answer our prayers? How dare we? address ourselves to God the Father. Well, it's in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's how. And so the simple act of praying in the name of the Lord Jesus reminds us of the gospel and reminds us that our only claim to the Father's ears is Jesus Christ. He's the only one in whom we stand. He's the only way we can enter God's presence. Jesus said, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through His life, through his death, through his resurrection, that's how we come. And so when we come in the name of Jesus, we're not coming in our own name. We're coming in the name of the one who lived, the one who died, the one who rose again. And so that's, that's this pattern, what it teaches us in the power of the Holy Spirit, enabled, enabled to come through the Spirit's power. Now, the, the third thing, or fourth rather, is submitting to one another. Verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this, this, uh, this word reverence, um, it's, it's the word for fear. And I think sometimes we fear to translate it fear because in, in, um, that might give uh, the idea of, of cowering. And, and that's that we don't want to communicate that. But I think reverence falls a little short. Um, maybe the word awe. Awe going back maybe a century when not everything was awesome, right? But, but when, when, when God was the one who was awesome, awe. So there, there is a bit of holding on to the table and trembling a bit here, but not, not a, the fear of a slave, not a fear of punishment because Christ has taken the punishment, but an, but an awe before Christ. And, and notice what it says here, submitting to one another, submitting to one another, Bowing before each other, serving each other, giving each other the preference. Why? Because we've already bowed before Christ. We've already bowed before Christ. We're already in awe of Him. And we stand before Him in, in loving awe. And so then that enables us to be able to, to submit to each other. And in the next three weeks, we're going to be look at, looking at three different manifestations of submitting to each other. In, in the common relationships of life, husbands and wives, parents and children, and in their day, slaves and masters, in our day, 
we could say bosses and employees, work relationships. And we're going to see how this, how this, how this plays out here. Um, but what we'll see is in each case, it is, it is, it's, it's showing deference to the other. And what informs all of this deference that we show to each other in these various relationships that we'll be seeing is because we're already shown deference to Christ. We've already seen that, that he's the Lord and that we stand in awe of him for who he is and what he did. The goal of all this is that people can see us even from afar, even from afar, and notice the distinctness of our lives and the way we walk. And as they see us walking through this, this path of life, they look at us and they say, that, that's, a, that's a particular gait. That way of walking is very distinct. It, it, it shows something about that person. That's the goal, folks, that people would be able to look at our lives and say, I, I see the distinctness of how you walk. You must be a Christian. Because I see that you walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Our God, may this be in our lives that we would not not walk as unwise, but as wise. Buying out from the evil days the opportunities that you give to us. Not being foolish, but understanding your will. Not getting drunk with wine, but being filled with your Spirit. In your Spirit. Filled with Christ that we would address each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in our hearts to you, giving thanks always to you for everything, everyone. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus and in the Spirit, submitting to each other out of awe for Christ, the one who lived and died and rose for